Hi everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show and thank you very much. This show is sponsored by LinkedIn, home of 70% of the U.S. workforce. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and today I am very happy to welcome Brock Pierce onto the show to give everybody a Brock 101. And Brock is one of the most influential people in the space. He has invested in numerous projects. He has advised numerous projects. He is the co-founder of Blockchain Capital, and he's also the chairman of the Bitcoin Foundation. Welcome Brock onto the show to tell you a little bit about himself, and Brock will be back as well later in the summer to talk more about his projects. But before that, please go to Crypto101podcast.com. That's Crypto101podcast.com. Join your favorite social media there, our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram. Please, if you're going to join the Facebook page, answer all the questions so you can be added into the group. Also, think about becoming a Patreon. The Patreons are the backbone of our community. If we have no ads, if we are not making any money from sponsorships, then it's the Patreons that really support us and carry us through the times when, well, we just need funding. So thank you very much for the Patreons for supporting us for almost a year now. And send us an email if you like. Just say what's up. Comment on the show. We appreciate it. And subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a comment. It helps us stay on top of the ratings. And don't forget to check out Aaron Paul on ICO 101. Without further ado, here's Brock Pierce on Brock 101. We'll see you after the show. Brock Pierce, welcome to Crypto 101. Hey, yeah, well, thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you for coming on the show. And Brock, today what we want to do is we want to know about Brock Pierce, uh, Brock Pierce 101. And talk about how you got into cryptocurrency and questions about the challenges you faced and how you became one of the most influential people in this space today. And then I want to hear some advice from Brock for the average consumer. What do you think? Um, well, how I got into this space um, started with gaming. I grew up as a, you know, call it a hardcore gamer as a child and, you know, throughout most of my life. And, you know, it started with buying and selling and trading Magic the Gathering cards, baseball cards, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff, reverse engineering the uh, algorithms by which perceivably random high value cards would go into boxes and packs and blah, 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 mm-hmm. eventually leading to massively multiplayer games that most people would recognize as things like World of Warcraft and Second Life. Mm-hmm. And in those types of environments, recognizing that the in game assets, objects, currencies, and such had value. And that people in these games, because they were persistent in nature, when you would log off, you know, in old school games, you'd play the game, you'd accumulate a bunch of items, and then you'd shut the game down and you'd come back and the game would start over. Right. Or maybe you'd be able to save the game and you'd come back and your character would start up. But in-game items back then didn't have any value. Right. The value of those items were derived by the fact that the games were persistent in nature, meaning when you would log in or out, you would still have your assets, you would still have your inventory, mm-hmm. and that the games were networked, and the items or currencies in those games were alienable, meaning you could transfer them from one player to another. Mm-hmm. And so when those features essentially all were enabled, an economy emerged. 
and people were willing to pay money to buy the virtual currency in these games. And I was one of the earliest people in the world to recognize that and jumped in to make a business out of it. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to 1999. And so for the subsequent, call it 20 years, I've been in that business. And I ended up being the, uh, the largest player in the world in that business for a long time, mm -hmm. where I built a supply chain of 400,000 people in China that would play games professionally to mine the digital currencies that then I would sell all, all over the world. I had the vast majority of the market share in South Korea, for example, oh. Europe and North America. And so I it was the world's largest market maker for in-game currencies wow. across thousands of markets in every major game that you can think of. It should come as no surprise that I found my way into Bitcoin and the broader ecosystem that this has now become. Mm -hmm. When was your first dive into Bitcoin? You already had this massive empire of digital assets in the video gaming ecosystem. And then you said, you know what, I'm going to buy some Bitcoin or I'm going to get into Bitcoin. Well, what's that story? How'd that work out? Well, anyone that was trying to build new currencies, most of those people all came to me in 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Well, Wired in December 2008 did a, a huge spread calling me the, the godfather and kingpin of digital <laughs> currency. And so funny enough, you know, Bitcoin was launched the following month, mm -hmm. January 2009. And so anyone that wanted to build, you know, new currency systems, anyone that wanted to build mechanisms for trading in frequent flyer miles or affinity programs, credit card points, everybody came to me for many years, you know, as the person that was doing this at the big scale in the world. Uh, so Bitcoin was on my radar, obviously very early, but I wasn't sure whether it was going to be successful or not. When I was first contacted by uh, a friend, you know, inquiring as to my views on Bitcoin, you know, I said, I, I think that this or something like it is the future. I just don't know if the future is now or 25 years from now. And so I was tracking the space, giving public talks about it. You know, I was busy doing those sorts of things uh, for the first couple of years. And it wasn't until 2012 that I made a decision to move full time into the space. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a bunch of other businesses in gaming and doing digital currency things and all my crypto related activity was a, you know, call it a very small side business. It wasn't until I saw, call it the lightning in a bottle, uh, when I saw sort of the, uh, what to me was the early indication of the tipping point uh, in 2012 that I dropped everything else I was doing to move into this space full time. Right, was that friend that called you, was this Satoshi? <laughs> I actually don't even remember who it was. <laughs> I had to ask. I had to ask. Maybe Brock knows who Satoshi is and he has to keep it under his hat, literally. <laughs> <laughs> I do wear a hat. <laughs> when you got yeah. into Bitcoin 100%, you said you just moved out of your companies. You sold them. They're still running. What were the challenges you faced? Was there fear? Because Bitcoin was new. You saw it in 2008. You saw how it progressed. But there are still ups and downs like there is now, you know, 20,000 to, you know, 6,500 today. And before, you know, you went up to, you know, a couple hundred and then back down to, you know, pennies on the dollar. But what was the challenges that you faced, not only with price, but with people, perceptions and, well, the people around you? Um, well, the bigger concern was, you know, I had already been a fairly high profile business person for most of my adult life. And the sector looked very different then than it does now. You know, the reputation of Bitcoin at the time amongst, call it the general public, if they knew anything about it at all, 
is that it was used by drug dealers and criminals and things of that nature. That was the perception, not (laughs) accurate, but that was the public perception. And so I spent the first six months having a difficult time sleeping, going, do I really want to do this? Um, Getting into this space in a big way, you know, could be the end of me. Um, (laughs) You know, if they decide to come down on someone, you know, it would likely be me. They could use you (laughs) Um, as the scapegoat for all the problems that Bitcoin's having. Yeah. And so I spent many months in deep contemplation around, is this what I should be doing? Mm -hmm. Am I willing to essentially risk it all? And that was the bet that I was ultimately making. This wasn't like, hey, this looks interesting. You know, should I do it? I had to basically go through the realization that entering this space may cost me everything. That requires a great deal of conviction. There's not many people that are willing to work on things and get involved in projects and believe in something enough to the point that they're willing to risk it all. Right, right. Was there any point in time during this that you said that, oh, no, this is it. They're bringing down the hammer. I'm in deep shit. No, I mean, I operate. I mean, if you watch any of my talks, all I talk about is that never compromise your integrity. Mm -hmm. And I try to hold myself and I do a pretty good job of it to the highest moral and ethical bars possible. I dot my I's, I cross my T's, I wear a belt and a pair of suspenders. Um, <laughs> and you know, I've had an army of lawyers working with me from the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, well, I mean, that was ultimately the realization I came to. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, you know, Brock, if you're going to actually go do this full time and if you're going to become a visible public figure in the space, no mistakes. Mm-hmm. Any mistake may cost you your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you made this decision, like you said, you were putting yourself in a very difficult position because you believed in Bitcoin, believed in the world that Bitcoin is going to create or blockchain in general. What is that world? A better one. But, uh, <laughs> to give you a short one, but the, the basics are it's a more transparent one. Mm-hmm. It's a more democratized one and it's a more you know secure world and it's a more efficient world in short Uh, i obviously could elaborate for hours on this but um that's a big part of it when i say democratize a better term would say it's a more inclusive world Mm -hmm. right now you've got three billion people on the planet that don't have financial services another two to three billion people with limited access to financial services we're talking about two-thirds of the population of the world don't have banks and credit cards like we do the blockchain is democratizing the global financial system in a way where every human being on the planet will have equal access Mm -hmm. and so it's the least fortunate billions of people that stand to benefit you know this is a movement that is going to make the world a far better place for everyone. Right. I'm going to just go back to what you originally said, because I'm very interested in your motivation in getting into blockchain and Bitcoin, because you said that you had sleepless nights for months because you knew that Bitcoin was this, you know, this entity without like a figurehead. And then Brock comes in and starts advocating for blockchain and Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And then you told us a little bit about, you know, the reasons why you went into it. But why is that important for you? I mean, Brock, you were already doing well with your businesses. You already could have invested in Bitcoin and made money. My my business at the time was doing over a billion a year. So you you don't need to do anything anymore. You could just hang out in any beach you want, travel and, and be happy. But what was Brock's motivation to look at these other people and say, I want transparency and democracy and inclusiveness? Well, I mean, it's ultimately the big question, which is why are you here? Mm. What is your life's purpose? What is it that you want to do with your life? And um, obviously I had a a fair amount of success in business, but that's not what life's about to me. Mm -hmm. Life isn't about what you get. 
life isn't about what you earn. Life is about what you give and how you serve. But that's my view. And every person will have their own view as to what their life is all about and what their life purpose is. I want to leave the world a better place than I found it. Right. I want to be in service and help as many people as I possibly can. And uh, this is clearly the way in which I can do that best. You are probably the most or one of the most influential people in the blockchain space right now. And that is due to your advocacy from public speaking and traveling and conferences and reaching out to thank you very much for podcasts like ours, Crypto 101. But you also invest in a lot of projects. Is investing in these projects a business decision or a decision for this bigger picture goal? Or how do you wrap up everything that you do in this space to reach that bigger goal? Or are they mutually exclusive or inclusive? Yeah. So what is it to be an investor in projects? And, you know, maybe you've heard of this term angel investor. Mm -hmm. I've been an angel as well as a venture capitalist. But there's a reason why they call them angel investors. It's not a good business, typically, to invest in early stage entrepreneurs. You know, 90% of those businesses go under in the first three years. Mm -hmm. And so, quite frankly, that's why they're called angels. You know, you have a young dreamer, a young visionary that wants to go do something, you know, meaningful in the world. And, you know, what angels do is they support those dreamers and give them the resources they need for those dreams to potentially become a reality. And it's not a good business. Venture capital is a business. Angel investing is not a good business. I mean, it can be if you get lucky and, you know, you end up in Facebook, Uber, Ethereum, Bitcoin, EOS, et cetera. Um, But generally speaking, unless you win the lottery, it's a bad business. Right. There weren't any real investors in the space when I made it my focus because there weren't very many people in the space that had money. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I could do to have the greatest impact at the time was to provide resources to those visionaries, those pioneers. And so I started out initially starting a new company every 45 days, you know, as an entrepreneur acting more like an incubator, Mm -hmm. realized I can't run more than 12 companies simultaneously. (laughs) Uh, And so um, I then said, well, let me just figure out how to provide resources to you know other visionaries, other pioneers. And so I started uh, the first venture fund in the space with my partners, Barton Brad Stevens, called Blockchain Capital. And we've invested in over 100 companies. Mm-hmm. That was one of the ways that I could have the biggest impact. And my motivation wasn't making money. I don't think I've ever once been paid a salary by Blockchain Capital at all, ever. So I basically just was spending money <laughs> and giving money away. <laughs> and I haven't really gotten anything back in return yet. On paper, I, I have. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So what are some of your favorite companies that you invested in so far? I mean, they're all your babies and some of you, I know they're all your favorite, but like what are some of the ones that you really are looking at right now? You're saying, hey, this is going to be something. Well, I mean, you have the exchanges obviously are doing very well. We were, you know, investors in the mining side and Bitfury on the exchange sides, companies mm-hmm. like Coinbase and Kraken and wallets like BitGo and Africa with like BitPesa, ATMs with things like BitAccess, accessibility with things like Abra. I mean, there's a long list of companies, uh, right. identity, things like Civic and Blockstream on the development, Block One that makes EOS. You know, on the Ethereum side, we were the first venture investor into the Ethereum ecosystem with uh, with Parity or ETHCore, things like Filecoin and energy, things like Grid Singularity and, uh, I mean, <laughs> banks like Noble Markets and uh, or Noble Bank, Ripple, Shapeshift, I mean, music with things like STEM. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Zappo, Zero X, Unicorn. So basically uh, everything. <laughs> yeah, just... we were the most, 
I, I was the most active investor in the ecosystem back when I was focused on investing. Right. Basically, this whole space is created by Brock Pierce. <laughs> no, not even close. There, there, there's been a lot of us. I mean, clearly, Barry Silbert out of New York was the other most active investor at DCG. You know, we were basically holding down the West Coast while he was holding down the East Coast. And then a lot of co-investments back and forth. Pantera clearly got into the space. And uh, the three of us, Pantera, DCG, and Blockchain Capital, that was basically providing all of the financing to the ecosystem in the early days. Mm -hmm. And uh, the angel investors like Roger Ver. I mean, right. Roger was the first, call it angel investor in the space mm -hmm. that was actively supporting multiple companies. So, I mean, if anyone, Roger probably deserves the most credit for being the first big pioneer whipping out his wallet. Uh, the Winklevoss brothers also were active angel investors in the early days. I'm happy you brought up Roger. I'm curious about your idea for Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin. And of course, this debate keeps going on with the branding and what have you. But do you mind just touching on that a little bit? Just what is your opinion about that whole debate with the branding, with the idea that Bitcoin Cash is more of the Satoshi's white paper or idea for Bitcoin? And how do you reconcile with that? I support forks. I support forking. You know, this is an open source movement. And uh, if you don't support forks, you don't really support open source. I mean, that might be a little bit of an overstatement, but I, I think mm -hmm. it's true enough to point to be able to say it. Mm -hmm. And none of us would be here. We wouldn't be talking now if it wasn't for forking. Mm -hmm. You know, we are the forks of our parents' DNA, <laughs> you, know? you know, and mo most forks are consensual, right? <laughs> and so uh, in that first case, yes, they, it was a uh, consensual <laughs> Between our parents, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so, uh, but then you get the contentious forks, and I understand contentious forks can create fighting and all sorts of other things. But in general, this is an open source movement that's about inclusiveness and democratization. You know, you might not like what someone else is doing. You may disagree with what they're doing, but um, I'm of the opinion that you should be open to the innovation. Anyone that thinks they're right and um, and you're wrong, my blockchain's better than your blockchain, mm -hmm. that starts to look like religious fanaticism. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not here to say who's right because I don't know. Right. I'm to support everyone that's innovating and trying to, to make the world a better place. So I support Roger and I support uh, the Bitcoin core and other groups. Right. I try to be as neutral as I can be. I'm obviously chairman of the Bitcoin Foundation. I was one of the uh, largest investors in the Ethereum seed crowd financing or ICO. I was the first venture investor in the Ethereum ecosystem, still a huge supporter of the Ethereum ecosystem. You know, I've been an early supporter of EOS as well as many other blockchains, and I will continue to do so. My attitude is if anyone succeeds in making the world a better place, we all win. Right on. So Crypto 101, and this is what I think, I don't know if Crypto 101 is making the world a better place, but we definitely have a mission. Our mission is for the average consumer. I really feel, strongly feel that it's the average consumer, the mom, the pop, the waiter, the waitress are sometimes just overlooked in this space. That it's all about tech. It's all about, and if you see everything on Twitter, it's uh, either Lambos on the moon or some big conference that nobody really can afford to go to if, if you're an average person. But let's just say that you're sitting at dinner and the waitress walks over. She recognizes you, asks you about Bitcoin. She says to you that I'm not in Bitcoin. What advice would you give to her about getting into Bitcoin or paying attention to the blockchain space? Like all things in life, it's really about being informed. 
generally people's first reaction to things they don't understand is skepticism or fear. Anytime that you find yourself in a situation where you're feeling fear or you're feeling skepticism, you should focus on it. I mean, you should try to understand where is that coming from and why? Because the way that you overcome those sort of feelings is through knowledge, through being informed. And so if any of the things that you've heard about Bitcoin, crypto, blockchain, etc., if any of it has resonated with you or if you see this thing and you actually believe this is a trend that's become big, which I would argue it is. I mean, coin market cap has gone from, what, 250,000 monthly visitors to 160 million. Mm -hmm. I'd say we've hit the tipping point. <laughs> and on that basis, the advice I'd give people is to get informed. Imagine if someone had come to you in 1994 or 1995 and was able to tell you that this internet thing is going to be a huge deal and it's going to change the world. Right. Imagine what your life would be like today had you listened. Mm -hmm. Had you heard that and said, wow, I'm, I'm going to take a moment to become informed. I want to understand why people are saying this. And if you were one of those people that became informed very early, you likely had the opportunity to be one of the bigger beneficiaries of that movement. So not everybody has the resources to, I guess, get informed. Let's say, I mean, we could look at the United States in the no, news. You don't, you don't need any resources mm -hmm. to be informed. Informed means educated. It means go online and listen to more of these podcasts. It means go mm -hmm. to YouTube and start watching. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Some interviews, it means go online and and start reading some white papers. Information is free. Mm. It doesn't cost you anything. The only resource you need is a little bit of time and a commitment to yourself to be aware of the future and where the world is going so that you can be part of it. And now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn. Have you tried to hire somebody lately? It's hard. Finding the right candidate to fit your needs is a trying task. But did you know that LinkedIn already has 70% of the US workforce on it? And businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than other job boards at delivering quality candidates. So next time you're looking for the right person, try LinkedIn. 
22 million professionals view and apply for jobs on LinkedIn every week in every industry, even yours. And well, mine, maybe I could look for another podcasting job. You already know that LinkedIn is the world's largest professional network. Well, it's also a great way to find talent. Just ask any of the hundreds of thousands of businesses who have posted on LinkedIn jobs over the past year. Because LinkedIn considers skills, experience, location, and more to match and promote your job to potential candidates, like I said, businesses rate LinkedIn jobs higher than other job boards at delivering quality candidates. So go to linkedin.com crypto and get $50 towards your first job post. That's linkedin.com crypto for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to the show. So somebody's getting informed and they're on YouTube and listening to podcasts, but they're going to hear all kinds of things. How do you, has the average person weed through the FUD to the truth? Let's just say somebody's going to say Bitcoin's a scam, a Ponzi scheme. They don't understand that. Like I had somebody ask me the other day, what gives it value? What's backing it? So when they're reading all these things, how do they get the right information? Well, it means you need to be informed and being informed doesn't mean listening to two podcasts and spending an hour. It takes most people about six months to become informed. It means actually committing many hours of your life, eventually tens of hours of your life to research and understanding, just like the internet. To understand the internet, you had to go create um, an email account and you needed to send your first message and you needed to go to some websites and you needed to try buying something on the internet and you needed to do those little things. And as you did more and more of it, you became more and more informed until eventually you had the ability to start thinking for yourself. You know, you weren't relying on the opinions of others anymore. You started to have your own opinion. That's when you become informed, when you start to actually have your own views and you're not relying solely on the opinions of others. That's when you've called it graduated from crypto 101. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm happy that you said uh, six months. Actually, CZ of Binance, he was on the show about a month ago, and he said the same thing. He said, it took me about six months to actually understand. And then I kept on trying to understand more because once the six months hits, you only get past crypto 101, like you just said. And, uh, and you're out of the next level. <laughs> exactly. You're at crypto 102. <laughs> and then you got to go to crypto 201. Uh, CZ and I uh, worked together in 2013. So the first Bitcoin ATM in the world was called RoboCoin. And uh, <laughs> I, I did a deal with the RoboCoin founders to become the exclusive distributor of RoboCoin ATMs in Asia. And CZ was the CEO. That was his first move in the space. Oh, wow. Uh, That's cool. Uh, working with us on that. Right on. That's interesting. Okay, so back to the average consumer. Okay, they did the six months. They're informed. What would you recommend their next step? Buy Bitcoin? Use Bitcoin? How do they help progress this forward? It's not about writing a check. It's about the knowledge. It's about the experience. It's like I can talk to you about email until I'm blue in the face. Sending your first message will teach you a lot. And so, yeah, it's about investing $10, $100 because you're not really there to make an investment. You're there to to invest in yourself. Mm -hmm. You're there to invest in your knowledge. You're you're investing in information. And, yeah, buy $100 worth of Bitcoin. Buy $100 worth of Ethereum. Buy $100 worth of EOS. You know, it's those sorts of things. It's not about the size. It's about becoming informed in this new digital age, in this new blockchain world, in this blockchain economy that we're moving into. 
you need basic skills and the world is very different than the world that you live in today. You have to learn how to use a wallet. You have to learn how to secure your internet assets. And those are things that you don't just learn in a day. It's not second nature. You know, it's kind of like when we went from the analog world to the internet, you had to learn mm -hmm. how to use a browser. Right. You know, these are all things that become second nature for us at this point, but it's a similar experience. You have to become proficient in the new world, and it starts with playing with it, experiencing it, and allowing it to become second nature. And people shouldn't be investing large amounts of money until they know how to secure their things unless you want to run the risk of having it stolen right, or lost due to your own incompetence, due to being uninformed. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're, they're informed, they're getting involved, but then you see the media and getting informed, like you just said, you can make your own decisions, but it's also very nerve wracking when you see the media always say bashing the blockchain space or for example, John Oliver's skit, you know, when that came out, everybody was like, you know, you had the big connecting. I think you were even uh, mentioned in the John Oliver skit. I, I saw a picture of you. I, I, I think I was in it for like minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were there for a while, actually. I was being. <laughs> he, I think he profiled me as much as he profiled the BitConnect. Yes. <laughs> Dude, what did you think of that skit? <laughs> I, I, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I laughed. Uh, I've only I saw it twice, and both times I was very amused. I mean, you know, John Oliver is a comedian, right? Right. When you go to a comedy club. The goal is for the comedian to pick on you. It's, it's called being roasted. That's the, that's the fun <laughs> of it, right? You know, that's called you win. That's like winning the lottery at the comedy show. John Oliver runs a global media-based comedy club. And so the odds of being selected are far lower than at a show that's got 100 seats. Right. Um, and so what an honor and what a privilege. Thank you, John Oliver. <laughs> so you were, you were excited about that. You saw yourself up there. You're just like, that's awesome. Well, it's, he's a comedian. It was funny. I thought it was good. And I mean, his underlying statements were pretty funny. He's like, oh, there's this company, Block One, that, you know, they have accomplished what took Facebook seven years, what took Uber five years. And I think he said twice that Block One is the next Google. Hard to take offense to that. And then he profiled uh, my wedding at Burning Man. I mean, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good yeah, skit. And he did it with humor. But, you know, you also have to have a thick skin. Right. Comedians, what they do is they roast you. That's the way that they function in this particular case, comedians like him. And so you can either take offense to things that he says or you can enjoy it and laugh along. <laughs> and, and by the way, if you can't laugh at yourself, you're taking things too seriously. Yeah, true. Very true. I think that's really cool that you like the skit and you appreciate the, the comedy and, the, and getting roasted a little bit. I think that's really, really, <laughs> really, really cool. But I guess going back to the average individual, like, so they look at that, like we're talking about the person that's just getting involved and they look at that. Then because of that skit, because of John Oliver, they go, well, maybe blockchain is actually really that stupid because he did make it look a little bit dumb. Unless you're, unless you're really informed, you, you don't know that it's comedy. Well, How does the average person weed through that? Well, I mean, it, it, I'm sorry to the average person that decides to form their opinions based upon John Oliver. <laughs> um, you, your future isn't bright, <laughs> unfortunately, because you can't see the light. What you take from situations like that is if John Oliver is talking about it, it's something important or he wouldn't be talking about it. And so you shouldn't be taking from his statements you know, you shouldn't be taking it as gospel. You should be saying, hey, if he's talking about something, it's probably worth looking into and learning more about. And, you know, in that sense, he's made 10 plus million people aware of it that might not have been before. And, you know, most of them will probably not do anything more based upon that information. But some subset of his audience are going to be wise enough 
to say, wow, if this guy is talking about it and making this big a focus on it, maybe I should learn something more. And he's probably going to be responsible for changing a great number of people's lives for the better by having profiled it. So again, thank you, John Oliver. Mm -hmm. You know, like in all things in life, when you listen to the media, you get from it what you're looking for. If you watch something like that and you're looking for things to hate, if you're looking for things to criticize, that's what you're going to take away from it. If you're looking for opportunity, if you're looking for information, that's what you'll take from it. If you're looking for a good time and a good laugh, that's what you'll take from it. What is it that you're seeking in life? And the advice I would give everyone always is look for the silver lining. Look for the light in things. Stay positive. I like what you said. You said, what are you seeking in life? And I want to just juxtapose that with your Burning Man wedding. So Burning Man, I've never been. I always wanted to go. Never got a chance to go there yet. But this shows a lot about you and, and your personality. You chose to get married at Burning Man. What are you seeking in life? And what, how does Burning Man relate to that? Well, Burning Man is the probably the greatest social experiment that I'm aware of, certainly in the last hundred years. I mean, it's a social experiment where it's testing new forms of governance. Burning Man is built on this concept of decentralization. I mean, that's what it is. It's a decentralized community testing decentralized governance without money. There's no money at Burning Man. It's saying, what could the world be like without money? What could the world be like without leadership? What could the world be like where people are focused on radical inclusion? What would the world be like if people were radically self-reliant and learned how to take care of themselves? All very interesting principles. You should look up the, uh, the Burning Man principles. I think that Bitcoin is a byproduct of Burning Man. And Burning Man is the, call it decentralized culture. The blockchain is decentralized technology. And the combination of those two things is you know, how I view the world that we're moving into. Who is Brock Pierce and how does this world fit into who you are and how did you become who you are? I mean, that's a longer story than we've got time for. But in (laughs) short, it's being an optimistic person that's focused on making the world a better place and going through life saying, how can I help you? How can I serve you? And trying to help everyone I can with no expectation of anything in return. Mm -hmm. I believe in gifting. I believe in giving without any expectation of anything in return. And when you go through life, always doing that with a positive attitude, living in the present, being happy, being in service, you know, you are the director of your own life. You are the director of the movie that is your life. Make it the way you want. You have that power. Everybody does. Some people don't realize that because they're stuck living in the past or they're too concerned about the future that they forget to live in the present mm-hmm. when the only time there really is is now. But uh, all of us have the power to basically take the steering wheel that is our life and drive it in the direction we want. And that's called taking responsibility for our lives right. and not blaming others for the situation that we're in. Was there a shift where you started having this idea opposed to a, an alternate idea of way of living life? Well, yeah, it's, life is a journey. It's not a destination. So it's ever evolving, right? And I'm continuing to evolve in my views and my abilities and impact that I can have. You know, like I think of making money as a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I call the game compounding interest. I'm not really interested in that game anymore. I feel like I've already beat it. The game that I'm interested in is called compounding impact. Mm-hmm. And how do you make a positive impact in the world? And that's the game that I'm playing. Right on. Brock, would you mind if we go into some general questions about the market? Sure. Cool. Well, how do you feel about the Bitcoin price these days? Is the price something that we should be focused on? And if it is, what do you think of the price in the future? I mean, I I don't trade, so I'm not really focused on the price day to day. I'm aware of it. But uh, price volatility doesn't phase me at all. 
because I operate with a long-term perspective mm -hmm. and I don't let market machinations of the day-to-day -day affect my judgment. So yeah, the price is down. I call that buying opportunity, right? You know, you don't <laughs> right. want to buy at the top of the market. You want to buy when there's dips, you know, pick your moments when you want to enter the market. So right. if anything, I'd say this is a buying opportunity, but that I would also say you shouldn't put anything in you can't afford to lose just because it's substantially lower than where it was a little while ago doesn't mean it can't go lower, right? But in general, it's a good time to buy when the market's down, not when the market's up. Buy low, sell high if you're going to do that thing. So I'm actually very happy when the market is down. I become concerned when the market is up and especially when it's up too much because when the market's up too fast and too much, that's when all the bad things happen. That's when the bad guys and the cockroaches come out and try to rip people off. That's when people lose money. You know, my perspective is I'd rather see slow and steady versus, you know, these big mooning moments. But um, right. that's just a personal preference. Obviously, I have no control over the market. The market will do what the market does. And I prefer when the market's down versus up. So do you think we're going to have $100,000 Bitcoin? Eventually, that or zero, right? <laughs> true. That is true. It's, it's a binary outcome. Either, you know, Bitcoin will continue to deliver on its promise. And if that's the case, it will go to 100,000 to probably even a million, right? Or it'll fail. And it's not because the idea would fail. It would mean that something has come along that replaced it and did better. I don't know if Bitcoin is the Friendster, the MySpace or the Facebook. But right now, I mean, Bitcoin looks very good. I'm very long term bullish on Bitcoin. And that includes all the forks, you know, not all the forks, but I haven't sold a single forked token. Mm -hmm. My next question is actually one of my favorite ones, because you have been named as one of the people that people name as one of the people that they admire in the space. If, if I ask, you know, different people that I'm interviewing. And when I get to ask somebody that has been named multiple times on the show as somebody that they look up to in the space, I get to ask them now, who do you look up to in the crypto space and admire? It's all of the people that have been in the market for a long time and through the ups and downs that have persevered, right? It's the people that are not the fair weather kind of opportunistic ones. It's the ones that truly believe in the movement, that uh, truly believe that there's an opportunity here to make the world a better place. In Canada, Anthony DiOrio has been one of those people. And, and, and the thing I'd like to point out about him in particular is money doesn't always make people better, right? Money has a tendency to make some people, it turns them into bad people, right? Mm -hmm. Anthony is an example of someone that's had extraordinary success in the space, obviously has done very, very well financially. And I've seen him, you know, he's continued to evolve and he's a better human today than when I met him. Mm. And when people make the kind of money that he's made, that isn't always the case. So mm -hmm. he's just, uh, you know, I think of him as the godfather of kind of Canada and single-handedly is the most influential person that has made Toronto the market that it is and given them the future, the bright future they're going to have. Obviously, Vitalik contributed in a big way, but, you know, it's the Satoshis, it's the Gavin Andreessen's, the, the Vitalik Buterin's, the Dan Larimer's, mm -hmm. um, you know, the great visionaries that have been uh, progressing the tech. Uh, it's all the cypherpunks that led us to where we are today, the entrepreneurs that have built out the gaming market for virtual currencies. They've been some of the biggest contributors to this movement. There's a lot of wonderful people, a list so long I couldn't run through it all. But to give one sort of last shout out, I would say it's the Satoshis, the Vitalik Buterins, the Gavin Wood and the rest of the engineers that made the Ethereum ecosystem what it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and the Dan Larimers, they've been the biggest contributors. Without them, we wouldn't be here. Right on. I want to praise the developers. For sure. <laughs> 
they're often the unsung heroes. That is you true. Know? It is absolutely true. We don't hear many developers on the show, but we do hear Vitalik quite a bit as somebody people look up to in the space. But what is one company do you think is going to have a big impact in the next five years? Well, I mean, I, I certainly think that Block One that uh, developed EOS is clearly going to be one of them. Uh, the Coinbase is as well. I mean, the most successful companies in the space are usually the ones that get vilified and hated on the most. But that's, again, just human nature, generally jealousy driven. But Coinbase has driven market adoption from a Crypto 101 perspective. It's been the onboarding mechanism that's allowed so many newcomers to right. get into the space. Without Absolutely. the Coinbases of the world, we wouldn't be where we are today. You know, right. It's about driving accessibility. And clearly, they've been one of the main contributors to getting us to where we are today. Right on. Crypto 101 is positioned to be probably one of the first stops on somebody's journey into the blockchain space. And it's quite possible that this will be the first episode they ever hear when they get into the blockchain space. What advice would you give that person if this was the first episode they heard? I'd say make sure to tune in again, subscribe and... Uh, uh, <laughs> I'd say keep listening, keep being informed, and don't get your information from any one source. Don't rely on me as your sole source of information. You want to make sure that you're getting lots of data points from lots of different people. It's the combination of data points that will allow you to form your own opinion. And again, go out and read some more. Go out and um, do all of those things, right? Be educated and yeah, go buy your first $100 worth of crypto, not because you're trying to make money, but mm. because you're trying to be informed. You heard it here from Brock. Subscribe, press the button, come back, listen to more. <laughs> thank you for that. Brock, before I ask yeah. this last question, I want to say thank you very much for your time. We've been trying to hook up for you know a couple months. I, I know your, your schedule is super busy, but I really appreciate the hour out of your day to come and talk to me on Crypto 101. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, and I'm always happy to come back. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, sir. But last question, what books or movies or media would you recommend to somebody that you're watching or reading right now it doesn't have to be crypto related but what's going on in brock's home when he's turned down the lights sitting on the couch with a bowl of popcorn well uh, i often speak about superheroes i think that we all have the potential to be superheroes and a big fan of uh, marvel's most recent film black panther right on. Uh, i think they nailed it there from a uh, a reading perspective I like a book that I've been recommending to people lately. is a It's a book called Stealing Fire. But there's so many good things out there. Actually, none of it's crypto related. The crypto world is moving so fast that um, you know by the time that something's printed, it's out of date. <laughs> so it's you kind of need to get your information from programs like yours. It's YouTube. It's podcasts. It's blogs. It's uh, Steam it, Reddit, etc. If you want to be informed, you need relevant recent information in a world that's moving at a million miles a minute <laughs> it's true true all right well we'll check out that book we'll put the link in the description for stealing fire and everybody go watch black panther it was a great movie brock pierce thank you very much for coming on crypto 101 you have a great night sir all right thank you bye-bye thank you bye-bye Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Brock a little bit. I know I did. I didn't know how big of a reach he had into the crypto space. I knew he was influential. I knew that he was a big investor, but this actually opened it up a little bit more to who he is. In our next episode, we have on the co-founder of CastBox. It's my favorite 
podcast app right now, and they are integrating cryptocurrencies into CastBox and blockchain as well into their new platform called Content Box. And we're going to learn a little bit about that in the next episode. Before we go, as always, ApogeeCrypto.com, that's A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place to check your real-time prices, CryptoNews.com for your news, and WPOnTheFly.co if you need a website. We'll see you in the next episode of Crypto 101. I'm Matthew Aaron. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.